Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and include some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, a woman is accused of killing her boyfriend's six-year-old daughter, maybe because of a feud with the girl's mother. Police say that the accused killer strangled the little girl put her in a 10-gallon bucket of chlorine, put that bucket on a little red wagon, and then pulled that wagon and the bucket over to the mother's house and then dumped it on the lawn with the little girl dead inside. The two women lived just two blocks from each other. But first, it was one of those everyday moments. A mom and her son on the way to the boys' violin lesson stop at a Dunkin' Donuts They're in the drive-through lane when a man comes out of nowhere and shoots and kills the woman right in front of her 11-year-old son. The woman, who is a mother and a school teacher, was the target of a hit. Police say that it was orchestrated by a woman she never met, but wanted her dead in the worst way. Why? Because that other woman was literally the other woman. We are recording this on Thursday, May 4th of 2023. Our guest today is Danny Smith, a former detective with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, who is now a very successful author, author of the Dickie Floyd series and a memoir. And, you know, I guess life is strange, but I met Danny on a murder case and we became friends. And I am grateful for that. Danny, how are you? I'm well, Anna. Thank you very much. It's always good to see you. You are a fan favorite. People love to hear what you have to say because people are, not just because of your experience, Danny, but because people are so inspired by your story that you became an author to deal with your post-traumatic PTSD because of the horrors that you witnessed while being uh, a police officer, a deputy. So you inspire us. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's always good to be part of your show. All right, Daniel, let's get to it here. These are um, horrible cases, sadly. 
I, I said to you before we got on, I'm like, I, sometimes it's just too sad. It's too sad and I can't. Our first case is out of Cheltenham, Pennsylvania, where a mother was murdered at a Dunkin' Donuts drive through all as part of a murder-for-hire plot, which police say they uncovered after she was murdered. The 35-year-old victim here is Rachel King. She was an elementary school teacher. She was murdered in her car in that drive through lane with her little boy, an 11-year-old, in the back seat. They were headed to the little boy's violin lesson. It was 7.30 in the morning. You know, I can imagine, I can picture myself and just about everyone I know sitting in a drive through trying to get that cup of coffee at 7.30 in the morning to get on with your day because it's going to be busy and we've got to get, you know, you've got to get your children to where they need to be. The most innocent of moments, shattered. They have video surveillance that shows the car that was at the murder scene that was allegedly driven by the killer parked and monitoring her apartment complex, which always makes me think about how aware we ever are. I mean, I don't know. Should you be aware that there's a car always parked in front of your building? Well, what if that person just moved into your building? Why would you be suspicious of this car unless you see this car around you as you're moving through your day? Most people are not um, acutely aware of of little nuances like that. Um, Cops are because we're sort of trained that way and suspicious and you just kind of know what belongs and what doesn't. Yeah. I, I think because I've been a reporter for so many decades and then the cases I cover are so horrendous that I do have one thing I do. I, I don't always use the same route and back and forth to whatever my errands are. And the other thing I do all the time is, especially if I am headed home, but I'm a few blocks out and all of a sudden a car appears and I'm like, well, why is this car going in my direction? Especially if I'm not in a particularly busy area. So I'll always pull over. I sit there. I wait for the car to go by me and then I give it a few seconds or a minute and then I proceed. And, um, it's something I have been doing for decades. We call that counter surveillance tactics. And I actually uh, raised my daughters to know and to use those tactics. And when they were learning to drive, um, they they those those ideas and 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 tactics were reinstilled in them. And uh, there was actually an evening where my daughter had to use that, and she was being followed. Um, it turned out it was a, it was a gag by one of her friends, and she didn't recognize the vehicle. But still, it was it was good for me to know that my daughter was paying attention and was worried and concerned about someone following her home after a dance class. So no, it's, it's, it's good. It's good to, to know, you know, to pay attention, to know your surroundings, know who's behind you, who's around you and to uh, you know, to be aware of those things. Yeah. It's by no means am I suggesting that that would have saved Rachel King's life in this case, because again, you know, depending on how the, the the alleged killer was watching her, to be in front of an apartment complex parked, it's, again, very natural to think of someone you has moved in, unless that car, like, ends up being in front of your school. And then you're like, well, right. hey, wait a minute. Does Unless this person works at the school or takes their kid to this school, you should not be anywhere in my world. So 
Police say that Rachel's death was all part of this murder for hire plot, um, allegedly hatched by the woman who was having an affair with Rachel's boyfriend. When he called it off and then patched things up with Rachel, the other woman became enraged and hired a killer. So it's the person who had the affair with Rachel's boyfriend who was the angry person here. Oftentimes it is the person in the primary relationship who finds out about the affair and then goes <laughs> after the other woman. So we, that's what we generally see. This one is a little bit on the flip side. Now charged in this case with Rachel's murder are 34-year-old Julie Jean, that would be the other woman according to police, and 33-year-old Zaki Al-Kahim. Now Zaki Police say is the person who pulled the trigger in this case. Police and prosecutors say his plan was to kill Rachel. It had been planned perhaps for months. Rachel King taught English at Grover Cleveland Elementary School in Philadelphia for more than a decade. So Rachel's longtime boyfriend, William Hayes, the one who supposedly had the affair here with the defendant, Julie Jean. Police say that when William ended things with Julie, sometime last year. She was so unhappy about it that she apparently, allegedly, started um, threatening and bothering the couple, meaning Rachel and William, not just William, but she started going after Rachel. And that, according to the district attorney's office, Julie started, the harassing was both uh, making threatening calls and sending text messages to the couple that William, the boyfriend in this case, had to get a protective order to keep Julie from contacting them. We see this so often, you, you know, you get the protective order, but that doesn't necessarily stop the person. No, the, uh, you know, the the protective orders are not very effective. It's, it's sort of putting a person on legal notice, but typically, you know, unfortunately when, when, when these things are, are, when it gets to the point where a protective order is needed, it's because someone is unhinged. So a piece of paper isn't going to really change their um, their demeanor, um, and it's not going to deter them when their emotions are high. It, it does work for some people, you know, for some, right? It, it does in some where they're like, oh, wow, okay, I better like double check this or I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose my standing, you know, you name it. Um, well, it works. It works in the way that that gun laws and and tax laws work. It it works for law abiding citizens. <laughs> you know, right. I mean that's that's the truth. It's you know, if you're a law abiding citizen, then you get put on notice. You say, oh, okay, well, I'm I'm going to not go by that person's home again or bother them or text them or anything else. Um, but yeah, there's you know, there's an element of lawlessness that, uh, you know, is is found in each of these types of cases and protective orders aren't going to change that. A complete disregard for human life. Police say um, that after this protective order was issued, apparently it further enraged Julie Jean, who then contacted Zaki, and he is apparently related to the father of Julie Jean's children, a cousin or something. So the, this is the connection here. The pair reportedly met and communicated several times in the weeks leading up to Rachel's murder. Police say that Zaki had a screenshot of um, Google Maps that he had saved. And 
and this was on his phone, which showed Rachel's apartment and the route that she used to drive home along with photos of Rachel King. How damning do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of evidence. Uh, um, certainly the the map and everything really uh, goes toward the premeditation. But uh, I mean, there's just there's a, a ton of evidence in this case. Uh, thank goodness. Um, and I wanted to touch back on you had mentioned kind of the reverse role in, in such a case where it's it isn't the person who was doing the cheating that was killed in this instance, which is oftentimes the case. But you know, uh, Miss King is truly the innocent victim all around in this. She is she is the last person that that you know you would would expect to be murdered in this case, and and you know that and just her whole background and everything else, it just makes it that much more tragic. She had absolutely nothing to do with anyone here, and right. she never did anything to any of these people, not suggesting that even saying or doing anything is a reason to be killed, but she didn't. And the district attorney uh, made a huge point of that over and over again, how she truly is an innocent victim who had no idea all of this was going on in the background, except for the fact that she and her boyfriend, William, would have known that there was a woman out there, this Julie Jean, who was very upset. Like that part they knew because they had to get the restraining order. Yep. But who then in their brain thinks that that's going to escalate to something else? You know, an angry woman. Yeah, it's not a great thing to have. um, And these things can get out of control. But to this level of of allegedly hiring a a hitman, unbelievable. Now, according to prosecutors, there is surveillance footage plus witness accounts that indicate on the day of the murder that Rachel's car was being followed by a silver mercury sable and that the shooter was seen getting in and out of that car at the Dunkin' Donuts. This will be very important because police say that mercury sable was the one that was parked outside Rachel's apartment complex for several days before the murder and they have surveillance video of that from security cameras. And it gets more complicated. So... On the morning of April 11th of this year of 2023, Zaki allegedly followed Rachel as she drove her son to violin practice. It was 7.30 in the morning. Rachel makes a pit stop at the Dunkin' Donuts, which is located at the Melrose Shopping Center in Cheltenham, which is right outside Philadelphia. While Rachel waited in this line, as we all know how busy and long these lines can be, Zaki reportedly parked that mercury sable nearby, walked to Rachel's car, and fired multiple shots through the driver's side. Rachel was killed instantly. The car, because obviously she had her foot on the brake once she was dead, the car rolled to a stop when it hit some kind of a barrier there in the parking lot. Meanwhile, her son, the 11-year-old, is in the back of this car witnessing all of this. And I cannot imagine anything more horrific and more devastating and scarring, not just the loss of his mother, but to witness this from the back seat. It's unimaginable, honestly. It, it, and it makes you just really hurt for, for the whole family. And it makes you question, you know, 
elements of our society that, that people are willing and able to do things like this. And something I was thinking about, Rachel King is a mom. So her son is 11 years old, and depending on his weight and height, he probably would have been able to be sitting in the front seat by now, right? But I, I do remember as a mom myself, those those moments and those months and could be years that I literally was arguing with my son. He wanted to move to the front seat and I didn't want him to because I knew he was safer in the back seat and I couldn't handle the idea of him moving that he was getting bigger, older to move into the passenger seat in the front because I was so worried that he would be that much more at risk. Like I always wanted him in the middle, in the back and bubble wrapped. And I think for Rachel King to have had her 11-year-old in the back makes me think that that is how she felt about him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty clear that that she was uh, a wonderful and kind person. She was loved. She was a school teacher, and she was loved by her students and, and other faculty. Um, <clears throat> I would say that, that that's that's clear, that she was a very caring mother, you know, taking her, her son to violin practice. Detectives with the Cheltenham Township Police say they recovered six nine-millimeter shell casings outside of Rachel's Ford Edge vehicle. That mercury sable that we've been referring to had been on the radar of police for a little while because it is allegedly connected to a murder a few days earlier on April 7th. The car was captured on surveillance for that murder and therefore, police were already looking for this vehicle when this happened. And then the description started coming in at the scene of the crime. So then police spot this car, the one they've been looking for for the previous murder. And the driver turned out to be Zaki, who when the police tried to stop him, he allegedly took off. There's a pursuit. He crashed the car and then police took him into custody. That car would then end up being traced back to Julie Jean, the other woman in this case. Police say that two weeks before Rachel's murder, Julie Jean bought the car and it was in her name and she gave it allegedly to Zakim. He was actually with her when they when they when when she purchased it. They went together and uh, she, he, she purchased it in her name. Again. Evidence, so much evidence here. The Montgomery County DA, Kevin Steele, held a news conference to explain not just the murder plot here, but also all of this evidence that we've been laying out for you. Here's a clip from CBS News in Philadelphia. The facts of this case and how these two defendants conspired and planned for nearly two months to kill Rachel King is truly disturbing. It was a cold-blooded killing, a targeted murder of an innocent person planned by these two defendants and horrifically carried out in front of King's son. So here's what else happened. When police go to question Julie Jean, they claim that she had deleted 787 texts between her and Zaki. Investigators were able to restore those messages as we have seen over and over again on this podcast that if you try to delete this digital evidence, whether it's phone calls, messages, emails, 
um, where you were in your GPS, your, your Google search history. It is not that difficult to restore this evidence. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, kind of a given, but, you know, thankfully the, uh, the criminals continue to uh, think they're going to outsmart the system and they do it anyway. You know, they use their phones, they take photographs. Uh, in this case, uh, he had on his phone a photograph of a gun because they didn't recover the gun, but they have a picture of uh, what's referred to as a ghost gun that was on his phone. In addition to the photographs of, of Miss um, King and, and also the, um, uh, the, uh, Google Earth download that you were referring to with the with the lines on it showing her residence. Mm -hmm. They also the DA said that one of the photographs because uh, the other woman had lots of pictures of Rachel that one of the photographs that the alleged killer took was Julie Jean holding her phone up and on her phone the screen showed a picture of Rachel King. And that uh, police say that the alleged killer then took a snapshot of that and that you could see the outline of her hand holding up the phone, even though you they can even restore these photos and find them anyway. But it's just like one more sloppy thing. Can you picture them sitting there in a car hatching this plot, a very, you know, badly devised plot? And he's like, OK, let me get a picture of it. Right. Yeah, no, and, and it's great evidence because, you know, that's that shows the conspiracy. And um, and I'm sure that they can identify the vehicle that they're sitting in, you know, from from just, you know, a couple of, you know, minor um, details inside the vehicle that could be unique, uh, at least to a certain degree, you know, a, a, or a degree of certainty that they could say, hey, this, this is the vehicle they were sitting in. And um, yeah, no, it's great evidence. According to police, the spent shell casings at the scene of Rachel King's murder, as you said, were a match for 11 9mm shell casings discovered at that April 7th murder with the gun not recovered, believed to be a ghost gun in their opinion. And again, that photo that he had in his phone, which makes you think that could be the murder weapon. So, Julie, um, what's interesting here is that, you know, Zaki gets arrested first because his car, police believe, is linked to that first murder. So he gets pulled, he gets pulled in first because now he's wanted in, in these two different homicides. And then when they finally trace everything back to Julie... She gets arrested and she's charged with first degree murder, third degree murder and conspiracy. She was arraigned on April 25th. Julie's being held without bail and her preliminary hearing is scheduled for May 5th. So that's that's very soon. <laughs> and then Zaki Al-Kahim has been charged with first degree murder, third degree murder, conspiracy and possessing an instrument of crime in connection with the April 7th murder, the first murder, but he has not been arraigned yet on the charges related to Rachel's shooting death. So that is still to come. I have a feeling that even though there appears to be a lot of evidence here, Danny, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more 
that authorities are going to release in this case that they will uncover? The investigators in this case have done a superb job. Um, I haven't been able to find the motive for the for the murder that occurred four days prior. But just to be clear, those two cases are completely unrelated. Um, perhaps the first murder is even random. I, I just can't find any information that explains, you know, why that murder happened. And to what end? Because at the end of the day, you have a mother, school teacher, she's dead. A little boy without his mother who has witnessed something that he can never, ever unsee. And the loss is forever. Then you have, you know, the the woman who supposedly was scorned here, the upset woman that she lost her boyfriend. So how does this work out for you? You're sitting in a jail cell. You're charged with murder. There's an awful lot of evidence against you. If, if she gets convicted, how did, how did this solve your problem? How'd you get that man back? I don't think so. And then, you know, there's the alleged, you know, killer who supposedly was hired as part of this plot. How did this, how did this make your life any better? I just don't understand this. Yeah, and you know, uh, interestingly, it's being called a contract murder, but so far I haven't seen anything as far as right. what uh, what actually transpired other than this $5 transaction. And in my opinion, the transaction was a simple way of them trying to communicate without texting um, or calling. You know, they, they use this this cash app to simply send a message and the $5 was, was just to be able to do that, in my opinion. Now, of course, that's a transaction and that's good enough to say that, that it was a murder for hire. Um, perhaps even the vehicle was given to him, I don't know. But but so far there hasn't been uh, that I can find any information where a certain amount was paid. And I don't know that 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 she was even, that she would have the means to pay for the murder. So I have to wonder, you know, this this guy is like you said, the the brother or the cousin of of her children's father. And you almost have to wonder, did he do it actually for money or was he just convinced to do it? Was he given something else? Was you know, I, I mean it'd be interesting to find out, you know, what what he gained from it. And and that'll be a big part of the case, I'm sure. And maybe it was just the car. Maybe that was enough for him. Yeah, who knows? The value of life. Clearly, these are people who do not know the value of a human life. Or if they yeah. do, they believe it to be very little. Yeah. Our next case is out of Harahan, Louisiana. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, everyone in Louisiana. Where a woman is charged we're doing the unthinkable here. She's charged with killing her boyfriend's six-year-old daughter, then taking that little girl's body and stuffing it into one of those 10-gallon buckets that you see everywhere at every, you know, like Home Depot Lowe's, right? Sticking it in a bucket with chlorine and then taking that bucket with that little body stuffed in there and dumping it on the lawn of the little girl's mother. To what end? Like, why anyone would do this to a child? There's never going to be an answer. There's never going to be an answer. there Because there is no reason. You just don't do this to a child. Now, the, the two women in this case, allegedly, 
had bad blood between them. And they had had all sorts of problems, according to court records. But if you're angry at someone, your response to dealing with this is taking their child away and killing them? Killing the baby? Who does that? Who does that? It's so despicable. And I know, Danny, that the case we met on involved the murder of a little girl, not in age, not too different, who ultimately the, the courts found that it was the father who had killed the little girl. And I know you were very close with the mother. Why? I don't understand. Yeah, you can't, you can't explain things like this. You, I mean, you can't really even understand things like this or, you know, it's, it's so difficult. And, um, and of course, having handled, you know, quite a few child murders, it's the most horrific thing on earth because, you know, they're, they're our innocent. They, they're the, the ones that we are supposed to protect. And, um, and when they're murdered by the people who are, are given, uh, you know, the, the uh, opportunity in this case to protect and to, to raise them, it's just the most horrific thing on earth. It's just terrible. It's always about, you know, the most vulnerable, whether it's the children, it is people with um, challenges and disabilities, the elderly, they are the most vulnerable and the most innocent. And so when someone goes after them, it, it just, oh, it's, it, it's so heartbreaking, so heartbreaking. So the two women live two blocks from each other and, uh, you know, the, the, the original couple right? The mother and father of the little girl, they had two daughters and Bella is the one who was murdered here. So the husband, the husband or the dad moves on with his life, starts a relationship with this woman. They live together. It's a long-term relationship. And the two families live two blocks from each other, which I always think is unless y'all are really the Brady bunch. I don't know how that works out for everybody. A lot of lack of privacy there. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Okay, so we're dealing with a new level of depravity here. The victim here is six-year-old Bella Fontanelle. Now, at the time of the murder, Bella was staying with her father, Michael Fontanelle. Michael was in this long-term relationship with his living girlfriend, 43-year-old Hannah Landon. Police say Hannah also went by the names of Bunak Lim and Bunak Landon. Some multiple ways, but most everyone referred to her as Hannah. Michael's daughter, Michael's daughter, Bella, and Bella's sister were staying with Michael and Hannah. Okay, so that would be the dad and the girlfriend. That's where they were that night. Bella was in kindergarten. According to police, Hannah beat Bella, then strangled her on the night of April 25th of 2023 police say hannah then put the child's body in a 10 gallon plastic bucket with chlorine she then put this big drum on one of those kids wagons you know the kind that you either pull children with sometimes you see people pulling dogs with them and then and then police say that hannah took this drum with the little girl's body in it and the wagon and she pulled the wagon 
very calmly through the streets of this neighborhood because she was picked up by all the ring doorbells. All the surveillance. You see a car driving by. It's, it's you know, dark. You see a car driving by as you would in a suburban neighborhood. Would anyone think anything of a woman pulling a wagon with a drum in it? No, right? You know, Anna, that's interestingly, and it goes back to what I said, you know, when we were talking about the previous case and being aware of your surroundings. I was thinking about that video uh, and, and my understanding, it was in the wee hours of the morning that this woman and she's got almost knee high white boots on. She's pulling this wagon down the street and this car drives by and presumably the car pays zero attention to to what she's seeing. And, and I just, that it's one of those things that amazes me. It's like, really? At three in the morning, you wouldn't find that odd and at least call the police and say, hey, this is kind of different, strange, suspicious. But apparently that didn't happen. Would, would the police, the, would the police even, I mean, what would you say? I see all sorts of weird things in the middle of the, there are, I have neighbors who for reasons I cannot understand, love to walk in the middle of the night, love to go on their walks in the middle of the night. Uh, we had a case on here on the podcast where a woman who loved to jog like at three and four in the morning, that was her thing. She loved to jog alone at three and four in the morning. She ends up being killed near a park where she was running. And, you know, it is your freedom to do these things. But, I mean, what would you say to the police? Danny, if I called you, if you, you were answering the phone at the police department, I said to you, there's a lady with these white boots on, you know, and she's uh, pulling a red wagon through the streets. Like, what would you do with that? Well, you'd send a car out because they live in this tiny little town that's very, very quiet and, and relatively free of crime. So it's not like in LA where, you know, there's all kinds of madness that goes on all night long. <laughs> this is, this is a, this is a type of a community from what I understand and, and everything that I've been able to find out that it's just, you know, a really quiet, nice little suburb. So, you know, the police there aren't, you probably aren't very busy, especially, you know, late, late in the middle of the night. And I would say that if someone said there's a lady pulling a wagon, it's got a big bucket. And here, that's the other thing I was going to talk about. You know, I'm trying to picture how a six-year-old is in a, in a 10-gallon bucket. Am I saying it was a bucket that would, would hold chlorine, but not necessarily that there was chlorine in it? Mm -hmm. um, but and, and my first thought was, well, maybe the child was also malnourished. But no, that's not the case. I've seen photographs and, and, and she appeared to have been a very healthy young six year old girl. So I'm trying to trying to figure out how you would even get her body stuffed into this 10 gallon bucket. And but. One thing that I read was that they, she actually even got the lid back on it. So I don't know. I mean, it's just a bizarre case. Um, Tragic, obviously, very tragic. But yeah, I, I would say that you know, if if you're in a, um, you know, a, sl a sleepy community, and the police say, yeah, a woman with white go goes is going down the street with a you know red wagon and a bucket, uh, I, I would send a cruiser over there and have them take a look. Why not? Okay, but then Danny, on the flip side about this police department is when the when Hannah after dumping, allegedly dumping the girl's body on the mother's lawn, then she drives herself to the police station, 
herself, right? She drives herself to the police station. She doesn't turn herself in for the crime. She says she needs help. So then the police call for an ambulance and she gets taken to the local hospital. Same police department. I know that you wanted to call, but this is the same police department, (laughs) right? That when the next morning Hannah is missing and Bella is missing the little girl they don't connect that the lady who showed up in the middle of the night, not making any sense, they don't connect that this is who they are now looking for. So not trying to beat up on the police here, but you know, there were several hours in which this little police department did not connect those dots. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. And and I could see how that, that could happen. I mean, number one, you're, you're probably dealing with two different shifts. And uh, and when she comes in and and says you know she needs some help and basically she's she's asking for a psychological evaluation you know and and the police can accommodate that and that's what they did so you know the next morning when it's when when the girl's body was discovered or actually when she's reported missing by the father you know it's going to take a few steps before anyone connects something like that it's just I mean it's just the way it is. Yeah. Look, it wouldn't have changed anything as far as saving the little girl's life. No. It wouldn't have done that, but it, it would have maybe connected those dots a lot faster in in a case where you have the homicide of a child and yeah. a stepmother who's missing here. So police say that Hannah dumped this bucket on the mother's house on the front lawn, and the mother is Jennifer Zeladon. Police say that the security footage obtained by the Daily Mail also, they they also got this footage, shows that Hannah, as we've said, and we'll show that video, is calmly pulling this wagon through the neighborhood. Now, as we said, hours later, you know, we're going to get back into the, uh, we're going to do this chronologically. So the little girl, Bella, has been dumped at her mother's house, but the mother doesn't know it yet, doesn't know this. Hours later, Hannah goes to the police department requesting transport to a medical facility as opposed to, you know, just calling 911 or going to the hospital herself. I don't know what any of this means. Uh, Officers did note at the time she seemed out of it. So they thought she really should go to the hospital. And that's where she was taken to be evaluated. Now, chronologically, it is now morning. It's about 7.30 a.m. Michael, the father, wakes up and he's like, Where's Hannah, his girlfriend, who he lives with? Where's Bella, his daughter? The other daughter is home, but where's Bella? So he calls the police to say that the two are missing. So now police descend on Michael's home to begin the search for Bella and Hannah. About 15 minutes later, the police department arrives. Makes sense. This is where the la- where the girl was last seen alive. We don't know what we're dealing with. Are we dealing with they just went out for a walk? The child has been abducted. Have they both been abducted? I don't think anyone really thought that the answer to that question was going to be, oh no, little girl was killed, stuffed in a bucket, and dumped at her mother's house. I don't think that's the answer anyone expected that morning. Under any circumstances. No. No. Oh, it's so horrific. So then police move their investigation to Bella's mother's house, Jennifer Zeladon, who lives two blocks away. Makes sense. Biological mother. Could the girl have gone there? 
You know, so this is now less than an hour since Bella has been reported missing. This is less than an hour. That's when the police are the ones who discover Bella's remains in the front yard in that bucket. I will say the only saving grace here, and it is tiny, is that at least the mother didn't make that gruesome discovery and she was saved from having to see that herself like in our first case, the little boy who can never unsee his mother being killed. I don't know how a mother could ever unsee opening up a bucket and seeing their baby in there. I, I, I don't know. No, that would that would be just absolutely horrific. Um, but and and to your point, you know, with the missing person investigation, yeah, certainly the the biological mother would be one of the first people you contact. Um, you're going to contact her. You're going to contact friends and neighbors and and you're going to start searching closest to the home and closest to the person um you know in those relationships so it uh, it does make sense that you know they were quickly over it at the biological mother's home and and thank goodness that they did make that discovery like you said yeah so now of course police are looking for hannah landon because she's missing too and again, they immediately did not connect her with that woman who came to the police department in the middle of the night asking for help. So eventually everyone figures it out by two o'clock in the afternoon, several hours later, that Hannah's in the hospital and she is that very same woman. The police ruled that the two parents, the biological parents, had nothing to do with Bella's murder. The medical examiner has ruled Bella's death was indeed a homicide. She was strangled and then hit in the head. And we don't know a motive. First of all, there can never be a motive. I mean, when you're killing a child, there's, there's, she's the truly innocent victim in all of this. She has nothing to do with anybody. She's just skipping along, having a great life as a little six-year-old should. So while we don't know of a motive, there is a lot of hatred between the two women the biological mother, and then the Hannah. I don't even know if we call her the stepmother, even though she lived with with the uh, father in this case. Let me put it this way. So Hannah, the girlfriend here, Hannah went to court to try and get a restraining order against the girl's biological mother. That would be Jennifer, Jennifer and her sister. So the girl's mother and sister. These court records were obtained by both the Daily Mail and Fox 8 Live. And it shows clear tension between Hannah Landon and Bella's biological mother, Jennifer Zeladon. In these court records from 2021, so now this has been going on for some time. This isn't like a new thing, Danny. This has been going on for years. Hannah tried to get a restraining order because she said she was fearful for her own safety. Now, the court order was rejected. The judge rejected the request, and then Hannah dropped it, didn't pursue it anymore. But what was submitted to the court as alleged evidence in this case is what maybe gives us some insight into what was going on between these two women. I'm not suggesting that they were equal participants in this. I'm simply saying this is all we have in the court record right now. And it is being described by Hannah. 
and you, you know, you, you take that however you want. So, um, apparently this is all according to, to Hannah, Hannah and Jennifer allegedly got into an argument at one of Bella's swim meets and that Hannah said she was holding Bella when the mother wanted to take the child and an incident started. There was shouting, there was shoving another incident the Jennifer called the police. This would be the mother called the police after Hannah refused to allow Jennifer's sister to hug the little girl, Bella. Okay. So do you see what's going on here? It, it feels like de- depending on whose point of view here, there is a fight for this little girl. What do you think, Danny? How do, would you describe this? Well, a, a few minutes ago, you mentioned motive that that we don't know what the motive is and and i would say that the motive is clear it's hatred Mm. um the the child is an instrument the 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 motive is the hatred between these two adults uh one the biological mother and the other who is apparently the new caregiver uh or at least you know in part i would imagine they have shared custody but um but you know one of the things you mentioned the the autopsy report and uh what i read is there is multiple um traumatic injury to the head and the strangulation so Mm -hmm. it makes me wonder well um it seems like like the child was beaten before she was strangled and killed and if that's the case where did this occur and why would the biological father and the other sibling the sister um how, how could they not have heard any commotion or, or, you know, known anything was going on. It's just, that's, that's kind of a a part that's odd to me. And, and I'd like to know more about that, you know, how that works out. Mm -hmm. We don't have that information. We have no idea if she had been gagged or she was, you know, perhaps even unconscious to a degree and wasn't fighting back. We don't know. We have no idea where that took place. I would think if she's being, if she, if Hannah is being captured by surveillance video going in the direction of the biological mother's house, that I think she's coming from the house that she shares with the father and is on her way. And, and the murder, I'm guessing here, my guess is that murder took place in that house or nearby. Yeah, and that's my, and that's my point. I, I would assume that your crime scene is going to be, you know, the, the home that, that Hannah and, and the biological father and, lived in and the two children were present at at the time so you know that's why it brings into question how something like that can occur you know in the still of the night and um and it's undetected by everyone else it's just kind of an odd thing so many things that are odd about this and and as you read the court record uh about trying to get that restraining order and how this is the alleged evidence that Hannah presented. I mean, these two women were yelling at each other. They were hitting each other, shoving, hair pulling, kicking, clawing. Again, that is her description. But these also seem to have taken place in public areas, like at a swim meet. It's just unbelievable. And and there's going to be a mental health issue that comes into play because, you know, what rational person would, would do such a thing, you know? Uh, especially the the whole bucket and red wagon part of the the case. I mean, that's just like that's going to bring in a lot of uh, 
varying arguments and experts that are they're going to question her mental health and the capacity to commit the crime. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because there are so many accused killers who always use that as their defense. Sure. It's always the defense. And there's such a similarity between this case and our first case in which the person who was murdered in both of these cases, completely innocent and had no skin in the game. They were not a part of any feud. They were, they had nothing to do with it. Zero. In the first case, you have this mother and school teacher who had nothing to do with this affair. Yet the other woman, say police, wanted this woman dead. And in this case, according to police, this woman wanted this baby dead to harm the other woman, she, the mother. They're having an argument. And, and somehow in both these cases, the, the one who is killed, the one who is killed has nothing to do with the feud. Nothing. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and, you know, I guess you could say hate's the motive in both of those cases, you know, in, in the, in the first case it's, it's hate and jealousy, you know, clearly she was just absolutely, you know, beside herself that the man that she was cheating with, or the man that was cheating with her, I guess you'd say, would, would want to stay with his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's jealousy and hate and, um, I don't know. You hear you hear the the phrase hate crime, and I've always laughed at that because you don't find very many crimes that that hate isn't a part of of the uh, you know the motive. So, oh, this is horrible. Well, on April twenty seventh of twenty twenty three, Hannah Landon was booked into the Jefferson Parish Correctional Center on charges of first degree murder and obstruction of justice. So in Louisiana, first-degree murder is applicable regardless of premeditation for victims younger than 12. What does that mean, Danny? That's a great law. When I read that, I had never heard that, but I think that's fabulous. And basically what it is, it's it's an additional step to protect our innocent the most vulnerable among us, you know, it's, it's saying, Hey, we don't, we're not going to have to prove premeditation or anything else. If you murder someone under 12 years of age, you're, you're getting hit with, you're getting slammed with first degree murder. And I love it. I, I think it's great because, you know, as I said, I've, I've investigated a lot of child deaths and um, there's just nothing, nothing more horrendous. And and the adults need to be held accountable, you know, is, is to the greatest degree possible. Hannah's being held without bond. Her next court date is scheduled for May 9th. Her attorneys have filed a motion requesting that Hannah have access to a psychiatrist. She could, of course, face the death penalty if convicted. It is time now for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media, and our producer, Will Updike, is here now. Hey, Will. Hey, how's it going, Anna? Good. Good to see you, Danny. Hi, Will. All right, so this week we have uh, another kind of bizarre robbery. Uh, This one comes out of Philadelphia where robbers got away with, and the amount has changed, but reportedly $200,000 worth of dimes after stealing from a truck that had been left in a parking lot. Uh, So this all came together on April 13th, where Philadelphia police responded to a Walmart for a report that an unmarked trailer was broken into overnight. So police said the trailer contained 
somewhere around $750,000 worth of dimes, right? This amount has been disputed a little bit, uh, but it was broken into and, and they were unsure how to tell at the time exactly how much had been stolen. Um, so they said, you know, when the police got there, there were dimes scattered from the parking lot all the way to a neighboring road. I'll show a picture, uh, which they shared on Twitter from the surveillance footage for, for our audio listeners. It's, um, I mean, it's about what you would expect. There's a, there's a trailer there. There's like what looks like, I, I mean, I don't know how it's like a big plastic garbage bucket. And there's just dimes just scattered across this parking lot. Um, so according to reports, police initially, uh, they they weren't sure. They, they thought it was around $100,000 worth of dimes. They followed up about uh, a few days after this case initially broke to say that they believe the robbers took in the neighborhood of $200,000 worth of dimes. So about 2 million dimes there if you're, if you're keeping track at home. Uh, and reportedly, what happened here was the truck driver left the vehicle in the parking lot because he wanted to sleep before driving the money from Philadelphia to Florida. Pretty long trip there. Um, um, he so he had picked up these coins from the Philadelphia Mint uh, the day Ooh, previous. So the this Philadelphia was like Philadelphia Mint. Yes, That's big. This, yeah, this was coming like from the Mint um, to Florida. There, uh, so. Uh, Apparently, uh, in the area there, uh, CBS, according to CBS Philadelphia, there's been a lot of cargo thefts and it's in Northeast Philly and South Philadelphia. Um, and, you know, people are just kind of breaking in. They're taking everything from TVs, refrigerators, uh, even chickens. I read in one report. Uh, so they, they still don't have the suspects in this case, but I will continue to, uh, update people if we get anything additional, but just a pretty strange heist. I, I, it's unclear how they got away. Um, I, I, I couldn't find anything online if the security uh, footage had, had caught any license plates or vehicles, because I, I, I would think there's no way that you're transporting this stuff on foot. I, I don't know off the top of my head um, how much two million dimes weighs, but I, I can't imagine that it's very light. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought this one was interesting because, you know, if we had a dime basically for every kind of like stupid crime that we saw, we still wouldn't have as many dimes as these guys. Oh, you've um, been dying to say that, Will, haven't you? You've been waiting to let that. You know it. To let you know that it. out. Um, Do you know who uses dimes, though? I mean, in this world where we barely use dimes for anything. No, what you can't even do laundry with them. What do you use them for? I have that answer for you. Mahjong players need dimes. We need nickels. I play Mahjong. We need nickels, dimes and quarters. When you play gotcha. Mahjong on the card, if you win a hand, it has a value. It's not considered gambling. <laughs> Just going to make that clear. <laughs> so, In the, the loopiest of loopholes. That's uh, right. And so <laughs> I am going to put forth that this could have been a heist because it's headed to where? Florida. And what do they do in Florida? A lot of Mahjong players. <laughs> I'm done. I love Arrest it. I, my case. <laughs> I love it. I love it. People had a bunch to say about this one. Jason W said, "That's a lot of trips to Coinstar." I gotta wonder how they're how they're turning this money back out. So they've stolen this money, uh, and then yeah, I guess you go, you, you got to roll it up into into rolls and and take it take it to various coin stars to get cash or an Amazon gift card or or whatever you end up doing there. Zabath said, when your pockets are a million times larger than your brain, um, I, I do a little bit have to hand it to these criminals because so far we haven't seen a whole lot about, uh, about them being apprehended. Uh, and I'm sure eventually that's going to catch up with them. I don't know how you unload that many dimes, but uh, 
I mean, thinking small, uh, I, I think was the the key to this one here. Psychedelic ninety five said has some thoughts on how they're going to spend the money. They said dealer is going to be getting a lot of dimes. Um, I you know I don't know if if they as readily take dimes as as mahjong places do, uh, but it's certainly <laughs> it you know it certainly is an option. Haley M said these thieves just don't have any sense. Uh, oh, C-N-T-S. good one which we love. Uh, mm. I mean, they have a lot of 10 cents, I guess. Brown Sugar said, I guess this really beats. I will give you a penny for your thoughts. Uh, I would probably take the 2 million dimes over a penny for your thoughts most days, but uh, I wouldn't steal a truck to get it. So uh, that is going to do it for today's comment section. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who left those over on our YouTube community page. You can also reach us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. We're, we're, we're basically everywhere now. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's comment section. Thank you so much. And I'll see you all next week. Bye, Will. Well, Danny, always a pleasure having you on the program and always fun talking with Will. Uh, we really do read your comments. Uh, last week on our YouTube page for our latest podcast, I this, this one caught my eye, so I want to share it with everyone because I love to hear how you all either listen or watch and what you're doing and where you are when um, you join the crime family. So this is a shout out to Capitalized Letters on YouTube. And they wrote, I love to listen to this while I do laundry every Friday. It makes me look forward to doing laundry every week. I just thought that was so funny because I love to do laundry too. It's one of, I actually like laundry. It's one of the few things I like. I hate taking the garbage out, but I can do laundry all the time. So thank you, Capitalized Letters on YouTube. (laughs) So Danny, where can we find you on social media and how's your book doing? Good. Uh, all my books are doing well, and um, you can find me. I've got a, a website, murdermemo.com or dickiefloydnovels.com. <laughs> and, of course, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. So uh, pretty easy to find. And, um, yeah, that's. I look forward to uh, to hearing from some of the comments. It's always fun when I read the comments on here that, uh, you know, they, they tend to throw me out there a few times, too. Hey, you know what? Um, we don't always all agree, but as long as we are fairly respectful of each other in our disagreements, that's totally cool. That's what I love about this community is that most people feel very free as they should to express themselves. As long as you are not mean to anybody else, that's, you know, fine. We can all disagree. Just want to let everyone know that while m- many of your books are under the Dickie Floyd title, the Nothing Left to Prove is actually your memoir, correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's the uh, the only nonfiction I've written. Nothing left to prove. It's the uh, law enforcement memoir. And the other, uh, I've got eight novels published in addition to that. So busy. I love that your second career <laughs> is as an author. I love it. <laughs> Just amazing. Just amazing. Thanks, so Anna. you can find me at Anna G News on all social media. Anna with one N. Um, Danny, always a pleasure. Uh, This episode and all our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and be very active there and vocal. We love that. Sign up to receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. I'm your host. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, don't do crime.